to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick. And as always, we like to talk about things related to resilience, business continuity, disaster planning, crisis management, well-being, anything that helps you, your organization, or your community plan and prepare for and overcome adverse situations. If there is a topic you'd like us to talk about on the show, or you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free, reach out. Uh, the easiest way to find me now seems to be LinkedIn. So I am the only Alex Fullick on LinkedIn, so I'm not difficult to find. You can, on Voice America, you can leave a message underneath the graphic for the page. It says, uh, there's a button, I believe, that says send the uh, host an email. You can reach me that way as well if you want. And I do return all messages. Uh, so feel free to reach out to either be a guest or I can find someone to come on the show and talk about uh, the topic you want us to uh, touch on. Longtime listeners and even uh, recent viewers, uh, you'll know that I was presenting at the Business Continuity Institute Virtual World Conference in November. And I had said for some time that I hoped to be able to get some of those other speakers at BCI Virtual World to come on the show. Today is one of those days. Presenting the topic, Know Yourself, Know Your Stuff, Know Your Systems, I'd like to welcome to the show, Dr. I want to say the name right, Artie Anhall. Did I say it right? Perfect. Perfect. Great. Perfect. Dr. Anhall, is it okay if I call you Artie going forward? Yes, absolutely. Please okay. do. <laughs> welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm good. Very good. Happy to be with you on a Monday in London. <laughs> <laughs> and so early, before lunchtime even. Yeah. <laughs> Can you? I've got listeners and uh, viewers from around the globe. Can you take a minute or, uh, or so and tell us about yourself, what you do? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So um, I guess I've worked in the resilience industry in its broadest sense for about 20 years. So um, started life as someone cutting their teeth on cyber in the early 2000s, moved into physical security and risk management, fell in love with crisis management in 2008, uh, then spent seven years, 2010 to 17, setting up the UK business for a Swedish risk and resilience startup and provider. Um, and during all of that time, I guess I was doing that bread and butter stuff, support organizations with preventing the bad things that might happen, uh, enabling their people to be prepared for the things that might happen, and, and to really help them build capabilities in their processes, frameworks, and people. Um, and yep, in 2009, I supported some clients in the UK with preparing for swine flu. So for those of us in the know, of course, in this industry, what we're experiencing now is no surprise. Um, and mm -hmm. in 2017, I took a step back and I recognized that we just weren't bringing the fullness of what it meant to get the best out of our people into the work that we were doing in organizational resilience. So when it came to thinking about risk management, what is a risk to people? How do people perceive risk? How does it affect the way they think, they feel, they act? Um, what does it mean to operate under a high pressure scenario, whether it's just an incident, a major incident or a crisis? And so I really wanted to bring together kind of psychology, 
plus resilience in the organizational context to look at look, what is it that organizations and their people need to be successful and to thrive moving forward in a world of complexity, in a world of change, in a world of uncertainty. And so I set up Before Nine. Um, and what we really do is we, we now using positive psychology and coaching psychology and lots of great tools from science, we integrate that with how organizations develop strategy, deliver their operations, prepare and assure their resilience and how they transform. So that really, when you think about it, it's not just the organization that has plans and processes, but that the people are operating at their best. Um, so that's a little bit of background on me, really. As you can see, probably already, the passion is there both for the preparing for the unexpected part at an organizational level, but I'm also now very much involved in the human aspects of what that means. Well, I, I'm glad you you uh, just said it that way, because uh, for a long time now, uh, a long time, I've been saying, you know, you can have all these plans and processes you want, but people are the key. If you're doing, a, you're, you're creating a plan, let's say, for a process or some other entity, I said, your focus is wrong. You've got to start with people. It's people who are going to build those plans, contribute to those plans, execute those plans, be impacted by those plans impacted by not having a plan. You know, I said it all comes down to people, you know, and the way you just said that at the end, I thought was perfect. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I know. So, okay. So we're absolutely on the same page then. And I, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure I can, you and I will both add a little bit of devil's advocate to make sure that it's nice and juicy <laughs> and rich so that people don't think, gosh, Alex and Artie are basically talking the same, you know, talking from the same hymn sheet or singing from it. Um, but I think what's also really interesting about that is, you know, and maybe we'll explore this later, you know, maybe we don't need all these, maybe if we had the confidence in our people we might not need all the plans and frameworks and processes, you know? Yes, yes, yes. I know there's there's other people in the industry that are saying the same thing. You don't need these plans that are this thick, you know? And, you know I'll, yeah. I, I'll, I'll calm down. <laughs> yeah, I know, that's fine. But yeah, so I think, you know, what I try and do now with organizations is say, look, what is the mindset? What are the capabilities? What are the resources that your people have? What would you like them to have? How do we help them build on all the brilliant things they already do? Mm -hmm. And where do we plug the gaps where we need to? But really, where do we take the strengths-based approach? And then, you know, taking a step back from this resilience piece, what does it mean for human beings to thrive in the organization day to day? Right. Yeah, because, as you know, up until the pandemic, you know, that one ticket, big ticket crisis event would come along and everyone would suddenly switch focus to a crisis mode. I think what we're now realizing is, no, this is just business as usual, as unusual. And the culture we have in good times is the culture we have in bad times. So what is it that we're going to do with our people and our processes and those frameworks day to day that then just allows us to adapt as the situation requires? For Exactly. You know, I, I, I've I've done uh, a lot of reading for research for something that I'm doing a little further down the road. And um, I've noticed that a lot of leadership and management, they tend to make all these assumptions about their employees when something goes wrong. Oh, all of a sudden they're going to forget how to do their jobs. They don't know, you know, how to work together as a team anymore. They're going to, you know, behave this way and that way. And it's like, no, where are you getting this from? You know, people band together. They, they work, they want to see each other succeed, you know, and, and, um, uh, you know, execute plans for their company as if, if they feel valued by the by the company. You know, and and feel um, successful. Why do you think just because there's a crisis, everything goes out the window? 
you know, uh, and I start to wonder, is it really because you feel that way about employees or is that the way you feel about yourself? (laughs) You know, and you actually talk about leadership and management uh, competencies. So I guess that's kind of a great segue into that, you know, uh, at uh, BCI World. Can you uh, talk about some of those competencies, the the difference between leadership and management? And yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, this is the really interesting I think the last three three to four years has been a really interesting time. So obviously I took this change in approach. And what I was really pleased to see was that um, that organizations were operating in the space were starting to say see the same thing. And the BCI obviously said, look, you know, for so long we focused on what competency is for BC and resilience professionals by saying, this is how you do business continuity, or this is how you go about doing resilience. Um, And so they then put out this great piece of work, which was their leadership and management competency framework. And it really was, I guess, the result of a lot of hard work of a lot of great people coming together to go, what is it that a resilience professional needs to be able to do? How do they need to be? What are the skills of the future? And it's interesting because, you know, they've basically set out really a blueprint for how professionals need to look to develop in their careers. Um, And so really, when we're talking about those particular competencies, you know, on the leadership side, what does it mean to be a leader? You know, well, firstly, do we understand who we are as a human being? And then do we understand how that transfers to the way that we lead people? Do we understand how sensitive we are to others? You know, that whole emotional intelligence piece. Do we understand how we adapt our approach to different individuals, to different situations? Do we know that we have a leadership style and that sometimes it's command and control, but sometimes it needs to be a bit more empowering? Um, Do we know how to influence people? Do we know how to negotiate? I mean, if you think about business continuity in any organization pre-COVID, the majority of that job was influencing and negotiating. So I happen to think that resilience professionals are in a really good place for having done the, the hard yards when it comes to learning how to influence and negotiate. But, but now, you know, how well are resilience professionals understanding what they've learned in terms of influencing and negotiating during COVID because they've had a different seat at the table. So, you know, when you think about these competencies from a leadership perspective, it's, it's those core skills plus it's the idea around personal resilience. And, um, you know, I'm, I can talk about that a lot at any point. But what I also think is really interesting is the idea of reflection. And I think that this is something that we're not very good at generally as human beings, because I think even when we're children, how many times... What do you, what do you mean by reflection? I guess I mean the art of stopping to notice either what is going on for us in that moment or stopping back to reflect on something that's happened, something that's gone well, something that hasn't gone well, either for us in our job or in the way that business continuity has been developed or delivered. Just the art and the practice really of taking the time to evaluate thoughts, feelings, actions. I guess you know it's that that that's not lessons learned though is it that sound it sounds different than that yes so I guess the art of reflection is the point of just sitting back to go hey this is how I was in that meeting I was a little bit defensive when my boss suggested I do x so someone who self-reflects will be someone who after that meeting goes wow I was defensive the person who critically self-reflects is the person who goes I was, I was defensive. What was going on for me there? 
What was triggering me to be defensive? How could I be less defensive in the future? How could I improve that? Is there something I need to do? Is there something I need to ask my boss to do? So it's really the art of stepping back, reflecting on, thinking about what has happened, something that we're a part of and perhaps someone else has been a part of, and, and actually then saying, okay, if I want to improve going forward, what do I need to do differently? And I think that in the last 12 months, most people in business have had very little time to reflect and self-reflect. Can, can you ask others, you know, it, using your example, you know, that meeting yeah. and I was defensive. Can you, when you do that, as part of that exercise to reflect, uh, you also approach some of those people maybe who were in that meeting and just say, hey, this is how I felt. Did, did I come across that way, you know, or did, you know, or, or uh, did I offend you or, you know, do you, do you include them after you've done your own? I think, yeah, I think the more sources, I mean, it's almost like sources of information, right? The more sources of information we can bring into our world, the more informed we are, the more of a 360 view. So absolutely love that you've kind of asked that point, because I think also this is where the feedback loop is really important. Um, and, and you're absolutely right, because there's only so much that is visible to us. There's only so much that we know about ourselves. There's a huge amount that other people can tell us about ourselves if we ask them. Oh, well, actually, Artie, yeah, you look nervous, actually. So the way that that behavior was manifesting was you seemed to be retreating a little bit. Did you think that that was defensiveness? And I would say yes. And they'd say, well, this is the way it came across to us. Um, and, you know, again, if we look at organizations and the culture of how feedback is given in organizations, people usually have to wait until the end of a project or the end of a cycle of, you know, um, performance management. To like those feedback. awful performance reviews, <laughs> which nobody, right. nobody remembers anything until, you know, a week before it needs to get done. And then there's a big scramble and it's just, no one likes that process. Le no. Leaders, management, employees, no one likes it. So I don't even know why we do it. <laughs> because it doesn't, because you know why? Because it doesn't feel authentic. It doesn't feel real because it's not happening in the moment. It's not dynamic. You know, mm. it's like good risk management. There's no point talking about the risks you thought you faced three months ago. What's going on right now? And in the same token, mm. you know, what I'm seeing in organizations now and actually, you know, um, when it comes to risk management, psychological safety, feeling safe in the organization to know that you're doing the right thing or to know that if you're doing the wrong thing, it's going to be pointed out to you. We need to be better at, at giving people feedback and we need to become better at receiving, uh, asking for and receiving feedback. Because if we're not getting feedback regularly from people, A, how do we know how we're doing? Do we know whether we're fulfilling expectations? But how do we grow day to day? I shouldn't have to wait three months for a growth opportunity to come because that's when my manager decides that I'm going to have a review of my performance. So I think culturally, this feedback piece is really interesting. But as and that's applicable at all levels, right? You yeah. know, a manager shouldn't have to wait for their vice president or director either, right? Yeah. It, it's not just... Um, because sometimes there, there's always this us and them management mm. you know, of any level and employees. But what you're talking about is applicable to everybody. right? It's applicable to everybody in every sector, in every moment. And let's let's take the word feedback out of it, because feedback can feel loaded, can't it? Which yeah, is that, yeah. you know, we all Im immediately put ourselves into defensive mode when yeah, we think true. we're about to get some feedback. It's like, whoa, oh, feedback is yeah. coming. <laughs> <laughs> oh, feedback's coming. And because we have the negativity bias, we assume it's going to be bad. And then because we have a mental filtering bias, even if it's good, we only hear the bad. So um, for me, what's interesting is if we change the language and it just becomes more of a daily 
daily feedback loop of, hey, so how did, I, how did I do there? How do you think I did there? Can I just give you some advice on what I thought you did brilliantly there? You know, just reinforcing with these small little questions, this desire for growth on both parts, if it's two individuals that are involved or in a team environment. I think that's what people are craving. They, they feel like they want, they want their, um, their tasks, their actions to be seen and heard. And then they'd quite like some comment from someone about how that's going down. Mm. Yeah, I, I thought of a word when you were uh, talking and uh, I'm not sure if it's applicable or not because sometimes it certainly sounded like it did. You know, being mindful you know, or mindfulness. Would I be incorrect in kind of um, uh, saying that, you know, during some of these uh, uh, self-reflections or, you know, it, when you've just finished a meeting, turning to someone and saying, hey, like you just said, you know, I thought the way you presented that was really good. You know, being mindful of what's happening in the moment is, is would I be you know, on the right track? So this is where we have to talk about synchronicity, because I've literally just this morning delivered a session on mindfulness in a remote world. And, uh, <laughs> and I didn't know that for the record. I did not know that. <laughs> and, and actually what I was saying was I was distinguishing these two schools of thought in mindfulness, the, the Eastern spiritual Buddhist approach, kind of now personified by John Kabat-Zinn, which is the idea mm -hmm. that, yeah, yep. paying attention on purpose in the present moment in a non-judgmental way. So being able to say, uh, I don't feel great about how I was in that meeting, but I'm not going to beat myself up about it. I'm going to try and move forward with compassion. I'm going to be kind to myself and I'm going to recognize that I was in the moment. I could see that I didn't like how I was and now I'm going to do something about it. And then the Western approach, which is typified by Elizabeth Langer, which is how can we become more involved and more wakeful and more open to all the signals around us? So how can we be going beyond ourselves to notice what's going on for you, what's going on in your background, what's going on in terms of the ideas you're presenting. And that's really interesting because that's all about being able to be in a team environment. And as you say, being so able to monitor all these different signals and go, Artie, what you did was brilliant. Alex, I can see a real link between the two points you made there. So yeah, absolutely. Mindfulness has a role to play in how reflective we can be, how engaged we are in our meetings, um, and, you know, it can even lead to great risk management because you have to be mindful to be able to receive signals yeah. of what's potentially going to go right and what's potentially going to go wrong. Um, and so, as you can tell, I'm just passionate about bringing all these practices into the work we do because they shouldn't feel like alien concepts that sit on the side. They should be built into everything we do as professionals in this space. I, I, I hate to use the word, but it almost sounds logical. <laughs> and yet it's not utilized or, or even known. I, I shouldn't say that, but a lot of people, even, as logical as it sounds, a lot of people aren't even aware of it, you know, of the, this type of thing. Well, and I suppose that's the brilliant part, right? So what is it that they're not aware of? They're not aware that there's a lot of science and that there's a lot of evidence about how all these different skills, the, the art of reflection, the skill of practicing mindfulness, um, you know, the way that we think and, and feel under pressure as a scientific study of resilience can inform the way we do business. And I guess that's why for me, this idea between business best practice and psychology coming together feels logical. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, why should it only be sports um, coaches who bring together the science of performance yeah. with the way that their athletes perform? We should be bringing in this into every possible organizational environment, whether it's education environment, science plus education tools, um, or the business environment. Yeah. And on that note, 
we've come to the end of our first segment. We are talking with Dr. Artie Anho, and we will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you ready to hear from investors and get insight on different asset classes? Join host Troy Eckert for the program, Talk with the Texan, Money and Life. Troy works with high net worth investors and is ready to bring you the secrets he's learned in his 35 years of alternative investment experience along with his guest experts. If you want value, you'll need to listen in live every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one. Hosted by Frank Hellring, we'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back. Today we are talking with Dr. Artie Anhal and the presentation from BCI Virtual World, Know Yourself, Know Your Stuff, Know Your Systems. Artie, great first segment. You talked about optimal performance. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and, you know, how we can actually make our performance, you know, optimal? How do we get there? Great. Uh, great question. Um, <laughs> so uh, let me start, I guess, by giving you, I guess, a kind of an a analogy that we can all really relate to. And, and I talked about sports science and sports coaches. So let's say you're a sports coach and you are, you're training a, a, an elite athlete to run, you know, the 100 meters. And really all that is about is everything you do, 99% training to, for that 1% of time, be able to run that 100 meters at the breakneck speed that you want to. And a lot of the analogies we get about peak performance, elite performance that have transferred into the business place have almost come from that mindset of, gosh, you've got to be able to perform at your best at that peak of that 100 meters point. But even that elite athlete cannot run at that speed and deliver that performance all the time. Everything they do is about being able to create the performance within a specific set of conditions. Short amount of time, less than 10 seconds to only run 100 meters. And so I've always felt, and I think this is something that positive psychologists have really started to come through with, is this idea of peak performance and elite performance just does not fly in an organizational context because you cannot ask people to deliver even high performance gives all that symbology of, oh, right, I need to be this elite athlete that's constantly, constantly at the top of my game. 
how often can you play at the top of your game in the world of work? Day on day, week on week, month on month. And so optimal performance is this idea of, okay, what is the level of performance that you can generate as an individual when, you know, the conditions around you enable you to enjoy well-being, help you to sustain your resilience and enable you to bring the best of who you are, all of your strengths out into the world. So it's the level of performance that you can deliver when the system around you, the team around you, the organizational culture around you um, enables you to feel good, function well and play to your strengths. And that suddenly becomes sustainable, right? Because it's a sustainable level of performance we're looking at. You, you just touched on something. I don't, I don't want to miss a thought. Play to your strengths. Yeah. So in your opinion, why the heck when we have those silly performance reviews, it's always focusing, I want you to deal you and focus on your weaknesses. I've never agreed with that approach ever. And and what you just said is the complete opposite of what management keeps saying to us. Yeah. So organizations live in a world of where are the threats? Where are the weaknesses? Where are the gaps? They look at that from an operational perspective. They look at it from a systems perspective. And it also happens to be the traditional approach to managing people, right? It's very much a cultural view and everyone has just inherited it from everyone else. And you're absolutely right. All of the focus and time is, what what are you not doing well? Let's improve it. You can even see that in a crisis debrief, right? So I've been talking to clients at the moment saying, even in your crisis debriefs, you do talk about what went well, Then you move on to what went less well. And then the only question you ask is, how do we plug the things that didn't go well? Rather than asking the question, how do we do more of the things that we did really well during this crisis? What other opportunities are there for us to do more of this stuff that we're clearly very good at? And so in positive psychology, this is exactly what we deal with. We deal with the idea of a strength-based focus to living your life and to living in your organization which is that if you spent more time understanding what the strengths of your people were and allocating tasks, creating roles, assigning responsibilities that played to those strengths, you wouldn't have to worry about them mitigating or managing out any of their issues because you would have them in a place where they are thriving. And, and because my what could be a weakness for me could be a strength for someone else which means then that person is being assigned to work that's driving them and making them succeed. And I'm getting to focus on my strengths and making me succeed. Absolutely. And even when we talk about strengths, there's a real difference in this language of strengths. Because when I talk to people about strengths, everyone, and again, this is our inherited educational culture, focuses on technical strengths. So RT is really good at reading the data. Alex is really good at number crunching, but also on um, kind of doing abstract modeling, whatever, technical strengths. Now, I bet you have a technical strength that you don't actually enjoy doing. Probably. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I definitely, there are things I'm good at, but I don't enjoy them. I don't really want to do them, but I happen to be good at them. Report writing is one for me. I can do it. I can do it really well. I have a PhD. It doesn't set me on fire to write a report. Put me in front of an audience, absolutely. That's where I thrive. So in positive psychology, we have these things called character strengths, human strengths. And there are a whole range of different surveys and profiles, but one that's free to use that anyone who's listening might like to go and take is called the VIA, Values and Action Survey. 
And what you find out through answering the questions are that your human character strengths, these pre-existing ways of thinking, feeling, behaving, might be that you're energized by humor or curiosity or giving perspective or being socially intelligent or fighting and being brave. Like there are 24 of these strengths. Once you start to understand what they are, you can start to go, oh, so the reason I like speaking in public is because I am so energized by sharing perspectives. Um, the reason that I find it easy in difficult times to laugh is because I am energized by humor. And so my default way of dealing with a difficult situation will be to find the humor in it. And I think, you know, for us in organizations, optimal performance is going, what are Alex's character strengths? How do we marry them with the way that he uses his technical strengths in this role? And what that allows us on a team level to do is to then say, okay, who are the human beings in this team and what energizes them? And I'll give you a great example. I was working with the general counsel of a big UK travel company. And she said, I have this team of 12 lawyers. We mapped their strengths. Lots of them shared in common the fact that they were energized by love and being loved, kindness, and learning. Lawyers? Exactly. <laughs> so she said to me, Artie, the people I have working with me are actually better placed to go and work as lawyers in Greenpeace, right? But they're here. So what does that mean? So I said, well, it means that at least when you're recruiting more lawyers to the team to get more balance, if what they need to be is someone who enjoys taking the fight to the business, you need people who, have got, who are energized by courage and bravery and zest. Then you could create a team that actually has more balance. Or you should look to help the existing team members recognize that these are the scenarios in which you can use love and being loved and kindness, and you might be able to use them when going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the business. But here are some other strengths we could really all look to develop, because there's nothing to say that we can't develop the other strengths. It's just that ones that we currently have top of the list are the ones that we do day in, day out, because they come most naturally to us. So I think this is really an interesting part of, of the optimal performance piece. It's who are you? What resources do you have? What strengths do you have? What, what enables you to feel good and well and function well? And what needs to exist around you to draw out all of those wonderful resources and skills? Um, and that's what then allows you to, as the BCI presentation said, uses, allows you to kind of think, well, what is my performance based on? Well, knowing myself, there's a huge amount of awareness required to go, this is who I am, this is what I'm good at, this is what energizes me, this is how I think, this is how I go about solving problems. Knowing my stuff, technical expertise, so how do I write a business impact analysis? How do I go about persuading a board to invest in this? You know, what do I need to do to deliver those outcomes? And then knowing your system, which is, okay, and what is the system that I exist in? What is the team environment that I exist in? What's the organizational system that I exist in? How am I going to negotiate, influence, collaborate, manage and engineer my, my use of myself and my strengths and the use of my technical knowledge in that environment of systems? To, um, to, so just, just to be clear, knowing systems doesn't mean uh, applications. No. You know, it, it's... You know, knowing how to use Word or Excel or some fancy yeah. application developed by you know technology to do something, it's it, it relates more to um, the cultural 
side of things. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, knowing the system that you operate in. So yeah, absolutely. It can be a subunit, a one-to-one relationship, a team. It could be your marriage. Your marriage is a system. Your body is a system. There are certain things that you need to know about mm-hmm. how it runs and functions for you to know how to operate using that system with it, with everything that comes with it. And and I think, you know, that's one of the things that I find fascinating. When you start to think of this in this kind of triptych of like, I know myself, do I know my stuff? Do I know how to apply it in the system of my marriage or my working relationship or my relationship with my boss or my team or my organization or culture? You then have these wonderful ingredients that you can always refer to from a developmental perspective. When something is there that you want to achieve, you can go, okay, is it that I need to know something within myself that will help me to develop and achieve this goal? Or is it that I need to go and learn more stuff? that can help me technically? Or is it that I need to understand how people operate in this environment? And the reason I say that is because most often when an organization thinks about developing its staff, what does it do? It sends you on a technical training course. Oh yeah, been there. You know, I, I you, you mentioned, you know, back to the strength piece. Um, we're giving all these authors uh, uh, some uh, airtime here, but I read uh, the book, uh, uh, I hope I'm remembering the title right uh, by Marcus Buckingham. Go and uh, work on your strengths or play to your mm. strengths. I, f- I forgot the exact title, but I know it was by him. When I read that book, within a year, I left my full time employment because I did. I said, enough. I'm not going to work on all this other stuff anymore. I'm going to play to my strengths. And, um, you know, now look, mm. <laughs> you know, radio shows, YouTube channels, mm. books. Mm. You know, and it's like, no, it's right. But that leads me to another point. With some of what you said, where do I start? Do I look at myself first and then look at what I know, what I, you know, what I don't know and move to know your stuff? And then do I look at the culture, you know, and how that helps me? Where do I start? Because you, you, you started our, our talk with, you know, self-reflection. So I'm just wondering where a person would start, you know, on, on this journey to, you know, mm-hmm. be better at what they do mm-hmm. and optimal performance, et cetera. Where, where do we start? I think, you know, absolutely. We start with know ourself. The reason we'll do that is because actually when it comes to the degree to which we know our stuff, that has kind of been coded into us. I know how to do X. I know how to use Word. I know how to use this piece of software. I know how to deliver this kind of training. That's stuff that we probably don't have to think about as much because that's the thing that people have reviewed us on all our lives, right? right. Knowing ourselves, which is, you know, how do I think? What are my values? What really energizes me? My strengths? You know, what am I like under pressure? That's the, that's the stuff that we can absolutely start to think about. But it would be wrong of me to say that that's the only thing we think about because what we need to think about as well is how is the system around us affecting all of this? So let me give you the example. Actually, I'm quite a risk taker. So when it comes to my thinking style and my approach to taking risk, I'm quite entrepreneurial. Go with my gut, have full confidence because I feel like I can control what's going to happen. Uh, I feel like I have some choice about the risks that I'm taking. So I'll take them. But If I worked in a system or an environment where that was not the right thing to do, 
they wanted me to be head of compliance, I would then have to recognize that the system is requiring me to change how I operate. So each and every time we think about, you know, who we are, how we operate, how we think, how we feel under pressure, how we engage with others, we really also need to think about how the system around us, our job, our colleagues, the culture of the organization is either helping us and pulling out those natural tendencies or actually forcing us to wear a mask. I always say to people, never make me your head of compliance because I am the entrepreneurial risk taker. Make me the person <laughs> in a crisis who comes up with innovative solutions to challenges. Don't make me the chair of the crisis team. And I think that's a level of thinking that I want to see the industry get to, which is how can we use all the knowledge we gather about people's internal selves and how do we marry that up with the roles we give them in day-to-day -day life and in a high pressure situation so that we don't end up with the situation we have everywhere at the moment, which is you are on the crisis team because that is your responsibility, because that's how responsibility is allocated. Oh, and you are on the senior executive crisis team because you're a senior executive, whether or not you're actually well placed to be on that team or not. Yeah, I, I've seen that, you know, people have their positions simply on the crisis management team using that. Uh, simply because they are a vice president or a director of a certain area, so they get it, and you know darn well, <laughs> you know that. No, you shouldn't be there. <laughs> it should be someone else. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so I kind of want to be able to bring the science and the evidence around why some people should and some people shouldn't, and bring that out into the open. Mm -hmm. In the same way, we would have that conversation about so many other things, which would be, you know, should someone be a mental health first aider or not? Or should they be a first responder on site or not? Well, no, they, they haven't had the training and there may be other reasons why they are well-placed or not well-placed. You know, how do we bring that into the world of business? I guess, you know, just recognizing that if you take the know yourself, know your stuff, know your system piece, at the moment, what we're saying when it comes to crisis management is as long as someone um, has, has elevated themselves in the system to a level of seniority and has technical know your stuff knowledge in financing, and now they're the director of finance, that makes it totally worthwhile for them to be on the crisis team. You know, and sometimes, admittedly, that's true. Yeah. But a lot of times, and I've seen it, that's not necessarily the case because in during crises or disasters, you know, the demand for information goes up and the amount of time you have to deliver messages or put plans together goes down. And sometimes that kind of pressure, someone who's very good with numbers and can manage people, you know, and create all these spreadsheets and track all your financial risks and profit loss, et cetera, et cetera, all these statements buckles under that kind of a pressure, mm. you know, and on that note, we've come to the end of our second segment. We are talking with Dr. <coughs> Excuse me, Dr. Uh, um, my goodness, Dr. Artie Anhal, and we'll be right back. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Tune in each week for the Labenthal Report with hosts Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartzman. The Labenthal Report keeps you in tune with market conditions, investment opportunities, and outlooks based on the stories and headlines to keep you in touch with your financial success. Are you picking the right financial path? Find out by listening to The Labenthal Report live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back. Today, we are talking with Dr. Artie Adhall and the presentation at BCI Virtual World, Know Yourself, Know Your Stuff, Know Your Systems. Let's talk about personal resilience. <laughs> How can we work on that? Do you have any tips, you know, uh, ideas for, thoughts for us? Well, I suppose before we do that, I want to take the step back and define it because I okay. think that, you know, personal resilience is one of the most misunderstood buzzwords of the last three, four years, and particularly so during COVID. And I think it's because people tend to assume that being resilient is just about being well. Yeah. So mm. if I sleep well, if I eat well, if I uh, practice a bit of self-care, I am resilient. You know, people are selling it as well-being plus. And actually, you know, the definitions of resilience point to something quite different, you know, above and beyond that, really, which is that, and I love this particular definition, if we think about personal resilience, it's the ability to be flexible in the way we think, the way we feel, and the way we act during life's disruptions or sustained periods of pressure, so that we emerge stronger, wiser, and more able. So that's a fantastic definition from Dr. Carol Pemberton. This idea that actually what we're looking at is psychological, emotional, behavioral flexibility when something difficult happens. That also then enables us to emerge in a certain way. And then when you think about, there's another great definition of employee resilience, which is from Dr. Catherine McEwen. This is about being able to manage the daily stresses at work, to rebound from the setbacks that take place in the workplace, to learn from them and prepare proactively for future challenges. So again, you get the sense of, okay, able to manage difficult situations, being able to get up after them or get back on whatever track you need to be on, but also take that knowledge and use it to prepare you for the future. And then the last one is psychological resilience, which is um, much more this idea of the ability to adapt and sustain high levels of performance during challenging conditions. So much more about how do you sustain a high level of performance, crisis management. And I think what I've noticed is that if you really think about all these definitions, what we're talking about is that when you meet this either head-on disruption in your life or this sustained period of pressure, there are three things that really mark out this resilience. The first one, yes, is relatively normal functioning. So kind of continuing to do what we do, but let's make no mistake, we will have bruises and we will have scars and we will have wounds and we all have them at the moment. So it's relatively normal. The second one is this adaptation piece, which is recognizing that the situation has changed, 
knowing that we're going to need to think, feel and do something differently as a result of it. And this third element is transformation, which is, you know, resilience is learning from that situation in order to be able to deal differently the next time. So when you think about it like that. Which links back to what you said at the beginning about that self-reflection stuff, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Because if we're not able to reflect on what we've learned, how will we be more resilient the next time around? Mm -hmm. It's the same for our organizations. If we don't do the lessons learned piece, how are we engineering more resilience into our organization? We're not. And I think when you start to think about it in that way, you realize that every strategy we use to be resilient is either changing the way we think about the situation, changing the way we feel about it, or doing something differently. And that can come, yes, absolutely, from a range of well-being techniques. So if we feel grateful, we get a positive emotion hit, it can help us to feel differently about that situation. If we try and find the benefits from a situation, we're thinking differently about it. Um, if we're actually trying to do something differently, it might be, well, I, I'm locked down. I can't go for a run. I need to recognize the situation has changed. I will be going for a run out, you know, in a different way. I will do an exercise in my home gym. I will create a home gym. All of these little things that we are doing day in, day out are, for me, they're kind of like ways of which we're using our psychological, emotional, and behavioral flexibility. Because we're using all these different muscles to change something. And that's where I feel that a lot of the focus on personal resilience is, Artie, teach me how to sleep properly so I can be resilient. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. We all know that when we haven't slept well and we haven't fed ourselves and we've watched too much news and we don't feel good, that yeah, it's much harder to roll with those punches and to get up off the floor. I use a lot of boxing analogies, but um, actually it's not just that. It's how do we coach ourselves through the thinking traps we sometimes fall into? Or how do we accept that we're thinking something is really difficult and move on nonetheless? You know, how is it that we recognize that we're having difficult emotions and we sit with them, but then we try and change how we feel if we feel that that's gonna be the most helpful constructive thing. And you know, the great thing about personal resilience is, you know, we all have it to some extent. It's just that sometimes we haven't been tested. So we don't know what the muscles are that we rely on for this cognitive, emotional, behavioral flexibility. And I think that's where COVID is a great example because this is the biggest test case study of our human and our organizational resilience. The key is, as you say, to reflect on what we're learning. So how do you deal, what are your suggestions with how you deal with um, you know, we're, we're working on our own personal resilience, we're doing our self-reflection, but you have management um, continually wanting to push you in different directions, you know, focus on things you don't enjoy, you know, the weaknesses, like we, we talked about earlier mm-hmm. on. How, how can you uh, deal with that kind of situation and still try and get yourself to move forward, you know, mm-hmm. and be uh, more resilient? How, how do you how do you approach that? How do you deal with it? Do you just you know roll with the punches and be miserable, or do you stand up and say no, I quit, goodbye? You know, extreme example. Yeah, yeah. So and I mean, it is a spectrum, isn't it? And I think actually what you've done by asking that question is raised a really really important point, which is the personal resilience of an individual in the workplace is not solely the result of that individual practicing certain techniques, right? 
our resilience in the workplace is absolutely shaped by the environment, the system around us. You know, there are core areas of workplace stress, the demands that are placed on us, the availability or lack of availability of resources to support us, the support we have and the sponsorship we have or don't have, the relationships we have or don't have that are positive, um, the changes that we're going through that are in and of itself stressful. So for me, it's actually something that managers and leaders need to be educated on, which is these are all the causes of stress for your workforce. Now you talk about proactively how you're going to mitigate those causes in partnership with the individual. So that yes, the individual is equipped with some great resources themselves to do things differently, but you are also part of that discussion about how if the demands are like this and the resources are like this, very low, that you're actually going to do something to balance out those demands and resources. So in answer to your question, the individual's responsibility there is to be in, to feel empowered to have the conversation, to be able to say, yes, I am responsible for some of the elements of my resilience that I bring into this workplace, but you've got to create those conditions, going back to optimal performance, to enable me to sustain my resilience. And I can't do that if you're not being clear about priorities or you expect me to do 10 things when the daily working hours available only allow me to do four. What's going to give? Something's got to give. And it's not going to be my health and my well-being. Or providing me more activities you know I'm not uh, strong at. Yes. You know, and, and taking me away from the, the things that I am strong at. Yeah. You know, because then no one's going to, you know, the department's going to suffer, the manager's not going to look good, the employee's not going to look good, and that'll mm. flow all the way up. Mm. You know, we're not getting something, something uh, completed when it simply comes down to the fact, you know, if you just reassigned it to a different person, everybody would be happy. Mm. You know, we only have three minutes left. Talking with you has been fantastic. You know, I, I just love this. And I know during our breaks, we kept having all these side side chats and then maybe we should have recorded those <laughs> as well. <laughs> but just, to, you know, like I said, three minutes left. Can you take you know, a minute and a half, two minutes and give some final thoughts on, on this? Yeah, I mean, I'm conscious that we've really talked through a lot of content. And I mean, if I had to say to if someone said, look, Artie, look, tell me, what, what can I take away right now from, from, from listening to you today? It's this idea of, OK, move from placing the expectation on yourself and on the people you manage to be elite high performance that is non-sustainable to optimal performance, which is about an individual being able to live and work in an environment that, you know, creates well-being for them, that sustains their resilience, enables them to play to their strengths. And to think about that optimal performance in those three ways of, yeah, as an individual, do you know yourself? What do you know about yourself? Um, do you know how you behave in good times and in bad times? Do you know what your triggers are for feeling defensive? Do you know how to engage with people? What's your problem solving style? You know, is COVID helping you shine a light on all of those things? What are you learning about yourself? Then think about that technical expertise and go, okay, I may be technically good at some things, but how do I use my human character strengths more? Do the VIA free survey. And then finally, think about the system around you. What are you doing to impact and influence that system, either in terms of your professional work, or if you're a manager or leader, how are you impacting that system in a way that is either supporting and enabling well-being and resilience of your people or actively diminishing it? and take away the fact that you and your organization have a responsibility if you want the thriving humans, thriving workforce, thriving organization. And if you want to thrive yourself. 
Yeah. You know, if, if you have a strong team that's performing and they're doing well, they're happy, they're all playing to their strengths, you know, and, uh, and it's all balanced out with weaknesses because, mm. you know, like I said earlier, you know, one person's uh, weakness is another person's strength, uh, then it makes the manager look good. You know, and the manager, you know, looks good in the eyes of other people and you have a better, that person has a better chance to move up as well, you know, and, and learn and grow. Absolutely. And, and the number of leaders I've coached who, when they've <clears> been able to create the cultural change for the people that support them, have then been able to go, you know, I wanted to trust and I wanted to delegate. And now that I'm doing all of this, I have a much easier life and I have a much easier job. And now I get on with the really strategic vision stuff, the innovation, the exciting stuff that I'm paid to do rather than firefighting my operational team's performance all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Artie, this has been a fantastic talk. Thank you so much for sharing your time and expertise today. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, and our side chats, like I said, which we have recorded sometimes, but you know, really, 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 uh, uh, lots of insightful stuff here, and I, I hope people really pay attention and take some of this back with them. You know, I, I think uh, you've offered a lot of uh, great uh, thoughts and topics here for people to consider. Thank you. I'm really pleased to have had the opportunity, Alex. So, um, yeah, fantastic, and really enjoyed it too. Great. Well, I'm glad we might have to have you back again because I've something tells me we probably only just scratched the surface <laughs> from talking with you. I, I just have that feeling. <laughs> but thank you once again. I really appreciate it. And to everybody listening, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.